Welcome to The Witty Committee. I'm Claire. And I'm Courtney. And this week we're reading Nothing Can Keep Us Together, the eighth book by Cecily Von Siegzer in the Gossip Girl series. And this one is definitely written by Cecily Von Siegzer. I double checked. It's not written by a ghostwriter. Good. Okay, good. I was reading it and I was kind of noting that because I was like, oh, I thought this would be better. And it kind of just feels exactly the same. I thought this was a ghostwriter. Um, and I'm glad that you fact checked that in and that it's not because uh, it definitely felt exactly the same. But before we dive in to discussing the book, could you tell me a little bit about what you're doing slash reading slash watching outside of the podcast this week? Sure. So I have reverted back to an old comfort show of mine called Bones. Um, It's a procedural drama. I think it was originally on Fox. It ran for 12 seasons. And let me just say, that is like seven seasons too long at the least. The show is so GD long. I don't understand. And they rehash so many of the same plot lines. Like they made a documentary. Now they're making another documentary. This was a um hockey player who got murdered oh look this hockey player got murdered like you don't need to rehash all these same storylines over and over and over again it is very frustrating to me and they weave in pieces of like not magical realism but like some sort of superstitious elements that are like ghosts or is it a hallucination i don't know like what's going on but it's supposed to be all science-based and i really liked it when i was much younger like an adolescent and now watching it as an adult i'm like "Mm, not great plus the second episode of the show which i think came out in like 2003 or 2005 was a very weird take on like islamic terrorism and i was like i don't like the the tone that we're taking here two things in response to that the first thing is i don't know why you said gd on this podcast because there's no way we're gonna keep it uh pg non-explicit uh, yeah, that's not going to happen. And then second thing is, did you know that the woman who wrote the books that Bones is based off of, her name's Kathy Reichs, she also wrote a YA series that's like the, I think it's like the niece of the main character of Bones. It's about her and finding these like virus infected people on an island off the coast of South Carolina and they they like or no they get the virus and then they become like super people it's really wild i did not know that i now but it's like go read those books yeah but it's more it's like forensic sciencey too it's like okay. cells modulate and they, me. it's just at this point i'm wondering like first of all i now know way too many bone related words obviously out of context because I don't think that any of the scripts, like, after season three or four are probably written in any sort of, like, scientific checked context. But I'm like, okay, we've already seen the hole in the, like, foramen. We don't need to see another case of a hole in the foramen. We've already seen that one. Don't worry about it. I remember. I have no idea what that means, but cool. Me either. I can just parrot it back. Okay, I'm just now I got uh, sucked into reading the Wikipedia page for Virals, the uh, Bones spinoff young young adult series. But um, it did spin off a couple of TV shows, too, which I thought were good, but only lasted for one season. Oh, sad. Um, Going off of like the YA trend, I would say I want to say that I took a break from my series, my Robin Hobb series, because I felt like I was boring everyone. Um, Is it because in the show notes I wrote, blah, 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 we already know what Claire's reading? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, Which felt a little insulting. But instead, I decided to 
pick up a book that I know Courtney has been waiting for me to talk about, which is uh, A Court of Silver Flames, the most recent book in the A Court of Thorns and Roses series. Uh, And Courtney always makes a face and she tells me I'm reading fairy porn. And up until this book, I would say no, but this book is probably the most profane thing that I've ever read that wasn't like Twilight fan fiction or like Fifty Shades of Grey. It's worse than Fifty Shades of Grey. I was about to say, don't you remember when you made me watch the Fifty Shades of Grey movie out of context while sitting on your two-person couch with you and your husband? I sat between you and your husband while we watched the third Fifty Shades of Grey movie for plot. It was it, no, there was no plot. The whole thing was what do you us mean? watching they it. They kidnapped being like, her. They kidnapped Dakota Johnson. The whole thing was us watching Dakota Johnson whisper talk and being like, "What the fuck? Why she talk like that?" <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a uh, it's steamy and there's lots of very graphic sex in it, and I feel uncomfortable when I read it. Um, but you know, I have to honestly, the series is good. I would say up in the first three books are very good and they're very plot driven. And I felt like they like make a lot of sense and they deserve to be there. But then there was like a fourth book that was like a mini, like a novella. And now this fifth book, I'm like, where are we going? It just felt it feels a little unnecessary. I'm in. I don't know if I'm enjoying it. I've started skipping through the sex parts because they're just too graphic. (laughs) I can't do it. Um, But (laughs) Yeah, I'm reading that. And I'm sure I'll be done with it soon because, again, skipping through the sex parts. So only reading probably like one of every three pages. <laughs> okay, so is that frequent? Good to know. To be to be clear, I haven't read any of these books. She has series. not read any of them. That- she didn't read any of the Throne of Glass books. She hasn't re- not read anything by Sarah J. Maas. So she's just judging me because she watched YouTube. Wait, YouTube's- is the Throne of Glass one um, the one where they have like the red blood and the- oh, no, that's a red queen. Is that the same? No, that's no. Victoria A. No, no, no. Very different. I'm basing my impressions off of um, one YouTube review that was really funny from Read with Cindy that I sent to Claire because it sounded like something that she would do. And then also just skimming through episodes of another podcast that we are like friends with called read it next, where they have done uh, several I think it's Sarah J mass read it yeah. next, read it like read it next. Yeah. I, if you guys I, are listening whenever to this, I think uh, about it, I think about it to the tune of thank you next from Ariana Grande. Oh, like in my brain. cute. That's cute. I think that's probably it. If you guys are listening, uh, give us a little bit of a guideline on how to say your podcast, because I feel bad that uh, I I don't be hard. I should know better. Okay, that's the same thing as like tear and tear. I always that uh, it's your brain. It just my brain doesn't work that way. And sometimes it annoys me. Also, uh, yeah, I'm just pronunciation. I read better than I talk. That's fair. And a lot of times you only know words from like reading them and never having heard them out loud. That was how I was with the name Phoebe. When I first read the name Phoebe, I pronounced it Phoebe in my mind. And then I was like, well, you know what? Pat's on the back for getting the PHF sound right. That's true. Uh, I feel like I've talked about this in the podcast before, but uh, I didn't know how to say the word barracks because I'd never said it out loud until like 2016 um, when I when I said Barack's. Like Barack Obama. <laughs> and David was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, Barack's. And he's like, barracks? Uh, I also didn't know how to say Tanzania uh, for a really long time. And Henry, my brother, makes fun of me because I one, t- one time I said Tanzania, which I was like, I'd never said it out loud. I don't yeah, even read I don't it. Think, 
You should not judge people for mispronouncing a word that they've only seen written and never heard out loud. That's totally valid. Just fix it and move on. Exactly. Uh, but I bet... Unless it's that if, funny, in which case then you should totally make fun of them. Oh, like uh, like Huttus and Tuttus? Did I tell you that story? No. The, Hutsu, the Hutus and Tutsis story? I've never heard this story. Okay. We were playing Cards Against Humanity Thanksgiving 2018, uh, and it was me and a couple of friends and one of my friend's moms who was here in D.C., and Henry, my younger brother, was visiting with my parents. My parents had gone done something else. Henry came with me. And we were playing Cards Against Humanity. <laughs> and uh, Henry got the card that was, or Henry was judging. And someone had put down the card uh, based about the Rwandan genocide that's about the Hutus and Tutsis. Um, and Henry said, Huttis and Tuttis. And everyone lost it. Lost it. And like crying, laughing. And he got so mad. And I was like, Henry, Henry, it's just funny. And also the funniest thing was the fact that like these were all my friends. And growing up, all I did was sit there while Henry and his friends made fun of me. So I was relishing this experience. Oh, I was I'm like, sure. oh, Henry, I'm just teasing. Why don't you grow a thicker skin? Which is all I heard growing up. And it just felt so good. But um <laughs> Poor but, baby yeah. Henry. Oh, Bobby. Yeah, uh, so, Huttis and Tuttis is definitely still something that makes me laugh. Um, but yeah, another thing that makes me laugh is the plot of this book uh, because a lot of things were funny, but I don't remember much about what happened. Uh, yeah, not unlike several other books that we've read in this series. As soon as I put the book down, having finished it, I was like, cool, my mind is now blank. Nothing happened. I've yes. forgotten it immediately. And then, like, I'm trying to, like, go through and dredge up like the beginning of plot points and like I can get there it's kind of like I don't know how to describe it it's like when you don't save something on your computer into a folder but then you have to go and dig for it and like yeah you'll eventually get to it but it's not in one of the folders like on your desktop or in your yeah where it's saved in like it's saved as like image zero zero five whatever and then you're like well how am I supposed to figure that out yeah gotta reopen everything Exactly. So we that's what we have to do mentally in order to discuss the plot of this pod of this book in the podcast. Okay. So well, I know where we start. We start at a dress shopping. Oh, event yeah. I don't think it's, a sh- it seems it. to be it felt to me like a like one of those like, like a basement sale. things. Yeah, I thought it was like a sample sale for like stuff that came over from England, which ends up being a plot point. But so yeah. all the girls from Constance Billard are looking for their graduation dresses, which and yes. point one thing I wanted to say. Um, there was a couple girls in our sorority who went to these high school, a high school in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this gave me very much this high school vibe. Uh, and for their graduation, they wear like wedding gowns and they have red roses. And it's like, I mean, I always thought the high school was kind of culty. It was a Sacred Heart High School, um, if that contextualizes it for anyone who's listening. So if you are a girl who is like went to a Sacred Heart High School, I'm sure you can understand exactly where we're coming from on this. It actually gave me, other than the fact that they also have to wear white gloves, the white gloves is definitely what gave me um, like Sacred Heart vibes. Yeah. But other than that, it gave me my older cousin's high school graduation. She went to Kent and all the girls had to wear white dresses, but all of the girls were dressed like in ways that was like so fashion forward still where I was like, this is great. 
I, I had to wear a white dress under my white gown, but it wasn't like it wasn't a wedding dress or like a yeah. gown. It was mine was um actually found it in New Orleans. It was a Diane von Furstenberg dress I got for one hundred and ten dollars. Second second hand. for was, you. I wore it. Um, I wore it to initiation. Yeah, I also wore my graduation dress as my initiation dress or like my ritual dress. Shh. Okay. Spoiler alert. You have to wear white to most things. <laughs> True. Uh, anyway. I think mine was so, off white. Yes, they're so shopping. Maybe breaking okay, rules. But well, yeah, they're sort within- of shopping. It feels to me like they're fighting. If so, I don't know if anyone ever watched the like reality TV shows about wedding dress shopping, but they always had a couple that were about like I guess like sample sales for wedding dresses, and it was always like women clawing each other to get these dresses and that was the mental image i had in my head um just for the descriptors not for blair but for every other girl there uh yeah they're all fighting over arguing over like oh well you can't wear that dress because you're not a size four as if they're like there's a lot of talk about size in this book too which was annoying but speaking of blair so blair is looking at dresses isn't finding anything that she's liking and then who shows up but serena and nate um, because they've decided that they have to be a couple because if they were to just have made out one time with Blair walking in on them, then not ended up dating, then that would be more insulting to Blair because then it would mean that it didn't mean anything. Whereas Serena, by Serena's logic, not unlike Nate's logic about getting kicked out of Brown as a way to make Blair happy with him again. Serena's logic is if this like makeout session didn't mean anything to me and we don't end up dating, then Blair will be more upset than if we do end up like together forever. And I'm like, that is ridiculous. You're being a ridiculous person. It it made literally no sense to me. The flip side is that's how Serena sees it, but Nate sees it as like this inevitable thing. He says, he says it's like he's been waiting to eat this dinner and he's seen it in front of him, but now that he's sitting down. Everyone else is eating their dinner way too fast, so he feels like he doesn't have time to savor it. And he's second guessing whether he should have ordered it in the first place. And I was like, I really like that really, metaphor. I love the yeah. metaphor and the fact that Nate had a metaphor. I was like, look at that. Evolving. Yeah, Nate has actually gone through, I want to say, an evolution emotionally in this book, but that would not be correct. Instead, I just want to say he's crying a lot um, because he's not really processing the emotional terms that he's coming to with the fact that he's graduating that this chapter in his life is over and he's like something is physically wrong with me but rather than try and figure it out i'm just gonna like try and have sex with serena all the time and then cry just cry he's crying constantly he's standing so for reference he's serena i guess is staying upstairs at the sample sale um, and she's just trying on hats which i didn't know hats were part of their graduation thing because i thought you had caps which ties i mean if you guys ever watched the show the best thing ever was when serena used her tassel in her hair oh my god yes it was so good (laughs) um but anyway she does not do that in the books um but she's just trying on hats and not trying on any of the dresses. And she's kind of like trying to be next to Blair. And it feels very weird to me because um, it's kind of almost stalkery. And Blair's just ignoring her. Um, and then so Blair leaves first and Nate is standing outside uh, smoking a joint next to the security guard. And the security guard is like, oh, that girl's so hot. Like, do you want me to stop her so you can talk to her? And Nate is just crying. Nate is just cr- he's smoking and crying like weeping and then serena comes outside and she's like okay time to go i guess and the security guard stops her and is like miss do you have a receipt and she was like i'm friends with the designer um 
and they leave and Serena even remarks that she puts her like cool fingers into Nate's like damp tear stained hand and I was like ugh so gross um, but yeah. they get a cab so that they can fool around in the back and then Nate doesn't even do that yeah, which always I thought struck. And maybe I'm thinking about this in a COVID perspective, where I'm like making like fooling around in the backseat of a cab seems quite odd and like uncomfortable. But maybe I'm thinking about that in terms of like sitting in the backseat of Ubers, wearing a mask and like that giant plastic partition now. Um, but thankfully, so Blair didn't leave empty-handed. She did buy a dress for uh, Vanessa, who she is still staying with, but she hasn't found anything for herself. And it gets to the point where Blair shows back up at. The apartment in Williamsburg, having looked at a boutique in Williamsburg, still not found anything. She's really flustered and she goes back to the apartment and like the door is propped open and Aaron has left his like soy hot dogs in like hot dog water in the kitchen from that morning. And Blair's like, honestly, this is not me. I can't do this anymore. And so she calls who but Chuck Bass to come get her in his new car that he got for graduation. Also, to note, Chuck Bass is apparently not going to West Point. He's just going to yeah, I noted that. no-name military academy in New Jersey. Makes a lot more sense. He did say West Point in yeah. one of the previous books, but I guess they've recanted that because they were like, actually, that doesn't make any sense. So Chuck Bass comes to pick her up, and Vanessa, it turns out, is hooking back up with Dan. On the roof. She's having sex with Dan on the roof of her apartment building. Um, another thing that I wanted to call out is the so the way that her, Vanessa's hair is being written about. I want to talk about this. So this is Vanessa's outfit when Dan shows up at her apartment to like have sex on the roof. Uh, they didn't know that was going to happen. It just happened. Vanessa is still with Aaron at this point in time. but Yeah, but her processing of like her graduation, sort of like Nate's tearfulness, is that she's just sort of like, I'm going to hook up with everyone and just like be super happy and peppy. So she's like, I'm going to be like happy, excited, and just like throw myself into everything, including like all the graduation stuff, hanging out with Blair, nominating Blair for school, like class speaker or whatever for graduation, and then just like hooking up with Dan when he comes over, even though I'm dating Aaron, and then just like the thrill of the excitement of like everything that's happening and having no consequences to your actions, sort of. So the one thing I wanted to call out is that Vanessa, her her outfit that she's wearing when she opens the door for Dan, basically, is a black ribbed tank top and no bra. This is what I want to call it. Her head was freshly shaved, but she'd allowed the dark hair around her face to grow half an inch or so, softening the broad white forehead and big brown eyes. Does she have a monk's haircut? Does she have a monk's haircut? She's freshly shaved her head, but her allowed the dark hair around her face to grow half an inch or so. I'm Googling monk haircut. You no, have to. no, no, no. I don't think that it's like a halo. I don't think that it's the bald man's halo all the way around. How is her? Head. I think how is her? I think it's just like the this front? part, just the front face. That part. doesn't make it better. No, it doesn't make it better. But I think that that might be better than Monk's halo. I don't know. It's all bad. Um, but I just had to call that out because earlier in the book, Gossip Girl was like, "Did we see a Tiffany barrette in Vanessa's hair?" And I was like, "What hair? Not long enough. For, that's not long <laughs> enough for a barrette." She, still. she like uh, command strips it to her head. <laughs> Um, but Blair and Vanessa seem to be getting along really well and they've actually developed a pretty solid friendship. So, uh, when Blair like leaves, she like leaves pretty tearfully and Vanessa and her like still part as really good friends. And 
Blair's like, hey, I got you a gift. It's this dress. And Vanessa's actually like, oh, my God, wow, this dress is amazing. Um, And she's like, I still won't wear any Manolos. And Blair was like, I know. I left you more things in your closet and like leaves. And I was like, Blair was kind of like a fairy godmother in that situation, which I'm sure she loved. But the weird thing with Chuck, I didn't like that. Basically, she gets in Chuck's car and he's like, Manhattan needs you. Where are we going? And she goes, the Yale Club. And boy, do I have insights here Um, because I've been there. Have you been to the Yale Club? I thought you were going to expand more on what what you didn't like about Chuck in this. Instance. Oh, just the the whole the whole fact that like Blair talks about like Chuck is it's this whole like you know Chuck tries to like feel Blair up and she's like pushes him away and it's like well Chuck is Chuck and he's just always going to be skeevy and slimy and like but he's but they were all born at the same hospital like Lenox Hill Hospital or whatever and so that means that they're. I don't even know. It's bad. Yeah, she definitely like pardons that a little bit, which I'm I think I might be more glad that she pardons it in the sort of like that's just how Chuck's always been instead of that like sassy gay guy who's like, oh, let me feel your boobs because I'm gay. So it doesn't matter. So that like I'm glad that it didn't go that route. Um, But I do like this sort of like weird dichotomy between Manhattan and Brooklyn between both Chuck and Dan, because when Mm. Dan is up on the roof having sex with. Vanessa, he's talking about how he can see the Manhattan skyline, and he's like, as a lifelong Manhattanite, whenever I see Manhattan and I'm not in it, I feel like I'm missing out on something. And as I've been looking for apartments, I've definitely thought about that concept of the skyline and like a city view. And I'm like, okay, but I, as much as I like to see the view, I also want to be the view. Yeah. Get that? Well, yeah. And also, like, proximity to things is very important. Oh, definitely. Uh, I also. I have a question, and this is probably easily answered, but I didn't think to Google it. How many bridges from Manhattan to Brooklyn are there? Because I know there's the the Manhattan Bridge, because there's the Manhattan Bridge overpass, da- which Dumbo Bridge. Dumbo is down under Manhattan Bridge overpass, and the Brooklyn Bridge. And then Dan mentioned seeing the Williamsburg Bridge, which I, m- might not be a thing. Is it a thing? Does that exist? You've lived in New York. I have not. I technically lived in Brooklyn for a total of three days. Um, (laughs) So the pandemic really ruined my ability to like go investigate various infrastructure. Williamsburg Bridge. It is a thing. It is a thing. Um, Hold while I look at how many bridges connect Manhattan to Yeah, I was going to say at least three, I think. Because Brooklyn, how big is Brooklyn? I don't know. I mean, it's its own Uh, borough. It's got like a whole bunch of neighborhoods. Yeah, so I've ridden, I've driven not driven i've i've done neither of those things i have ran run over the brooklyn bridge okay um twice that sorry words were really hard there and i don't know why um yes i think that there are three unless yeah there are three okay cool then i know all the bridges so do i conveniently um, I guess. I mean, I don't know. All right. So moving uh, back to your comments about the Yale Club. So she goes to the yeah. Yale Club because her dad is able to get her in. So outlining the Yale Club to you, the only time I've been was with my in-laws because okay. the Yale Club has since absorbed the Dartmouth Club, the UVA Club, and the Deke Club, DKE, mm-hmm. which was not a thing at GW, but is generally a thing. Um, 
And so all of those places can like have be in the Yale Club. And so I went with my in-laws for my birthday in 2019. And I understand that they've had a fairly recent renovation, but Blair, the way that she describes their lobby, which I can tell you has not been renovated in probably ever, because <laughs> it looks like it, uh, is just, in, I, I, a lot of the places that ha- happen in this book, I'm like, did Cecily Von Ziegzer literally ever go there? Because <laughs> so much of the Yale Club that she outlined was just layout completely wrong, the lobby completely wrong, like, just generally boggles my mind. There's no bedrooms in the in the library floor, which is supposedly where Blair's bedroom is supposed to be. I'm just like, it, it just seems it's I mean, I know that m- most everyone who read this book will have never gone to the Yale Club, uh, but it annoyed me. So just generally. But the idea of the like the pretension of the Yale Club is also something that's really interesting because it's like only Yale alumna could go in and it's like, no, I literally went for lunch. And also the fact is that like you can also be a UVA alum and get membership and like stay in two thousand five at that time. I think so, yeah. In two thousand five. So so the Yale Club absorbed the Dartmouth Club in like nineteen seventy six. Okay. And so Dartmouth people could stay because Dartmouth previously had seven floors at like some hotel um and then so i think in new york city there's the yale club and then there's the princeton club and the princeton club has some other schools under it and the yale club is has absorbed other schools as well i don't think uva ever had its own club there that seems like a lot um but yeah i think that was like that was like in the 70s or 80s so like definitely in 2005 um but again, I don't think that's something you would know unless you had been there. Um, I don't even think if you had been there, you would know that unless you were a member of one of those reciprocal schools or a member yeah. of the Yale Club, which well, I would say I think was neither. Yeah, I think the reason I know is because David's dad went to Dartmouth Business School. And so I knew he didn't go to Yale. And so I was like, well, how can we get in here? And he, then I, you know, did the whole thing, got the whole tour. Uh but basically, it's this supposed to be this status symbol, the fact that she's living there. Um, and I think there are really nice rooms there. And I know you get reciprocity at a bunch of other like university clubs around the country, which mm-hmm. is like cool. Uh, but I mean, I don't understand. I mean, it just seems very strange that Blair is just hopping from like hotel to hotel kind of vibes. Um, and there's like very like we don't see very much of her family at all in this book aside from Aaron but like even then not really a lot of Aaron um but the most important part is that when Blair is going to find her room at the Yale Club she runs into a very cute boy on the elevator uh who has a British accent and upon exiting the elevator he like follows her down the hallway and I was like "Uh uh-oh danger zone but uh his room was right next to hers and his name is Lord Marcus Beaton Rose Road, road, roads, which is important because Aaron Rose confused me. I was like, wait, is he related to that'd be weird, but he's not. And he just recently graduated from Yale, uh, like a couple weeks prior, I guess, or like the week prior. Um, and he immediately envelops Blair into a whirlwind romance 
Yes, it's very cute and very sweet where she is basically like, all right, now I don't care that Nate and Serena are together because now I'm totally dating this British lord. And that definitely gave me the vibes of the TV show where Blair ends up with a prince. No spoilers here because, like, obviously we know that, like, this show is super old, but... I just want to say that, like, that was the vibe that it was giving. No, there me. was Marcus Beaton was a plot line in season two. I'm so not saying was, that it wasn't. I'm saying that, like, the relation, the relationship that pinged in my mind was the prince. Yeah. Line. Well, but there, so there was a there was a Marcus Beaton plot line. That I'm just saying. But remember, he, he was having sex with his uh, stepmom, who yep. was also having sex with Nate, uh, which just ick. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so. This is that does not happen in this book, which thank God. This uh, book. Who's to th- say what'll happen next? Oh no. Oh no. I don't need that. Basically, uh, he seems like a really great guy because so he uh meets up with Blair the next day, I think, to go like shopping for her graduation outfit. Yeah. Which is so cute. And he they go to Oscar de la Renta and he greets the saleswoman by name and then Blair finds these white suits and she's like, oh, my God, why did I never think of wearing a suit with a skirt before? That's so amazing. And then who shows up but Oscar de la Renta, which could happen in this time period. Uh, I don't want I know. False. It's him. That's awesome. He fits the blazer to fit Blair like perfectly. I say allegedly because Gossip Girl reports that apparently there are Oscar de la Renta lookalikes like his cousins from the Dominican Republic who come to different stores throughout the world to pose as Oscar de la Renta because he's just so in high demand right now that, like, he just can't keep up with all of it. So it's just, like, various Dominican men who are just showing up and pretending to be Oscar de la Renta so that they can, like, fit people. Yes, but how many times did Gossip Girl say that, like, Nate was gay because he was in 50 Feet of Chuck? I'm not disagreeing. I do think that there is always scrutiny for the Gossip Girl reporting system. And that's the same credence that I'm giving to future rumors that we hear about Lord Marcus. But I also think that to the point about Lord Marcus being there and like taking Blair there, apparently Oscar de la Renta is like Uncle Oscar to Lord Marcus because apparently his mom is like only ever going to wear Oscar de la Renta. They're like so, so close that like that's all Which that seems she like an interesting thing. It, I, I'm betting that she's probably American because it seems very intriguing for a British noblewoman to exclusively wear an American designer. Um, but I will take no Oscar slander because I wore an it Oscar just, de la Renta It just gave me Alicia Rivera. It just gave me Alicia Rivera vibes where I was like, okay, so you're going to be super loyal to this one designer. That It was funny to me. I would be loyal, loyal to Oscar de la Renta. For sure. Well, if, they're, like, if he's like personally fitting you, then of course he's your. Well, uncle. he's dead. Well, he's I'm dead just now. saying that it, in this, in the context of this character, died in 2016. The context of this character in the storyline where he is not dead, he is being body doubled. But yeah, I'm a big Oscar, Oscar de la Renta fan, and you know who else is a big Oscar de la Renta fan? Serena, because is she, she though, or is she just like a uh, sure whatever kind of person? Okay, I had to tie it in somehow. No, of course. But, like, I think that speaking to the thing that happens next with the Oscar de la Renta suit, it's, like, it sort of speaks to motive if we were to be investigators here. So Serena goes with Nate to a different department store, sees the same Oscar de la Renta suit, goes to go try it on, and Nate has stolen some of his lacrosse coach's Viagra and is like, okay, well, if I am horny, then I cannot be sad. Spoiler alert, Nate, that's not true. Um... (laughs) Well, so he, the the most annoying thing to me, so he steals the Viagra after they're like 
last lacrosse practice where they like have beers and like snacks in the gym because whatever. And the thing that annoyed the crap out of me is that Nate's sitting there and he's like, that was the last lacrosse practice. The last lacrosse practice. No, he says lax, which I'm not going to say. The last lacrosse lacrosse practice ever. And I was like, Nate, you're going to college for lacrosse. What do you mean? Yes, but and he's he has like played crying. with these guys for like years and years. So I sort of get where he's coming from. But so he steals his lacrosse coach's Viagra and takes some and then hooks up with Serena in the dressing room. And then she just like buys the suit sort of offhandedly. Because they were having sex on top of it. On because it. Nate but was she didn't like, buy it because she loved it. Well, so Nate was like, let's pretend we're in the bathtub in the bubbles like we did summer before 10th grade. And I was like, and he was like the third time we had sex that summer. And I was like, wow, you guys are horrible friends. Horrible friends. You just hate Blair. Were they, was he dating Blair at that point? I don't think so. No, but he wasn't. But it was more the fact that, and they both knew that. They both knew that like, they both knew it was bad. And that was the whole point of like the first book was that they knew it was bad. Um, Sure. But they kind of suck. I don't they both suck. think that they suck like that much. Other things about them suck in this book more than that. But that kind of sucks. Um, but I do give them some credence for bubble baths because I love bubble baths. I think yes, they're but great. real bubble baths are great. Not um, having sex on top of a bunch of Oscar de la Renta suits and a Bergdorf's bathroom. Not bathroom. Dressing room. Dressing room. Yeah. Oh, and then the the They don't even woman. get kicked out. Yeah, when no, the no, no. The fitting woman, she sticks her head in to be like, is everything OK? And she sees them having sex. And she was like, well, Serena Vanderwood since had a tab open here since she was seven. So I can't say anything. I'm glad she enjoys the store. And then she, <laughs> she feels so comfortable here. Uh, and then she bounces, which is so funny. Um, another thing that Blair and Serena are competing for is the um, class speaker situation. Yes. And so Serena was allegedly nominated and it turns out she was nominated by a film professor. Her creepy, class, disgusting I don't even know if she like really film? was yeah. taking his classes. Exactly. So she goes to talk to him to be like, hey, can you like, I'm going to let you know that I'm going to take my name off the list because I don't want to speak at the thing. And he is apparently like on the younger side, but he like speaks in a lot of French phrases to be like cool and hip and European. And then he says that. If he hadn't been her teacher, then she would have then he would have wanted to kiss her. And then he asks to kiss her and then he kisses her on the cheek. And she's like, oh, I guess I'll just like let him kiss me because then I can get out of here. Yeah. And then she. Oh, so gross. It was the worst thing ever. I had to like put the book down and stop reading it for a second because I was like, please, what is with these teachers and trying to sleep with these students? Like, please find someone your own age. I think it's the photography teacher because he talks about having her in the dark room. Um, and the film teacher is the one who is obsessed with Blair, uh, who like the from a couple books ago when he would like Woody Allen's the best thing ever, blah, 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 blah. And we're all like, well, you're icky. Um, but anyway, the the arts, the male uh, visual media teachers at the school should be banned, banned from why? Sh- why would you want that in a school full of girls? OK, so I double checked and he is the film teacher and they are in the dark room developing film uh, so i don't know but, if maybe cecily von Caesar just doesn't know what film is but she also says that she had stopped taking film in ninth grade and hadn't even been at constance the next two years she had been at hanover academy yeah. and so she's like i don't even really know like i haven't been in this guy's class for years like, and dude, so I don't know why you. is he like so obsessed with me 
And so she just like lets him kiss her on the cheek. And then she sees the headmaster or like the headmistress eating chocolate bonbons with another teacher and like giggles and runs away or whatever. And it was just very weird. But so speaking of Hanover Academy, little Jay, Jenny, has been doing a little road trip upstate to try and find her perfect fit boarding school. And so she goes to Hanover Academy. Her dad, she was like, dad, I'll meet you at this coffee shop whenever. And she goes to meet with her tour guide who was like, I'm so stressed with finals. Like, I can't hang out with you, which was really shitty of her. And so then Jenny is like, oh, well, I'll just sit in this lounge with these girls who she thinks are reading like fashion magazines and like listening to their iPods and stuff. And it turns out that those girls are actually like studying reading science magazines and listening to audiobooks. And she tries to like name drop Serena a lot. And it turns out that they hate Hanover her. has gotten really, yeah, Hanover has gotten really strict apparently ever since Serena left because Serena just like left the place pretty much like burning in flames. And so they're like, we don't talk about Serena and this place sucks now. Good thing that we're all leaving because we're seniors, but like this place is no more fun. And so then Jenny's like, well, then I'm out of here. I'm not going to this school if it's not going to be any fun. Yeah. And then she goes to visit her second school on the list, which is Croton School, um, which is in Croton, New York, I think. I don't know. It's near nearer to New York. Um, and she convinces her dad to let her like hang out there and just take the train back. And he lets her. Interesting. Because Jenny had literally just gotten into so many like disciplinary offenses with the school that she just got kicked out. Um, but okay, Rufus, do your thing. Uh, she goes and who is her tour guide? But um, what was Henry Bass? Yeah, it was like Henry or Hank Bass, Chuck Bass's cousin. And she's like, oh, yeah, Chuck Bass, the guy who, like, tried to forcibly deflower me in a gala bathroom first book. I guess I'll go hang out with this guy. So she follows him into the woods. And then there's well, a whole bunch of... he does say... Sorry, not to interrupt, but also he says, I know who you are. Like, I've I read all about you. I've seen you. And I was like, ugh. I would like to think that that's because she's been in magazines and on page six and like been featured in Gossip Girl. Not so much because Chuck is like talking about his failed attempts at like conquests, but I don't, I wouldn't put either past this person. But so she follows him out into the woods, red flag number two right there. And she finds a whole bunch of other students who are all wearing like bathing suits because I guess they're like over by a stream or something. And they offer her some ecstasy and decide that they're going to go play Duck, Duck, Goose. And the cousin Bass asks Jenny to take her top off. Jenny has pretended like she's taken the ecstasy, but she's really dropped it into her ginormous cleavage to hide it, which I think is a very smart trick. Good for Jenny. Very smart. And so use the tools she's you pre- got. Use the tools you got. And also, like, it's a good distraction, whatever. Save it for later, etc. And so who this like random man stumbles upon their party and it turns out that he is the headmaster of the Croton school and he's like mad that they didn't save him any ecstasy and mad that Jenny's not wearing her shirt. And so he's like, I'm like, you're not going to get in here, despite the fact that everyone else who's there is also like high on LSD and he wants to or like high on ecstasy and he wants to take some too. So like very strange sort of relationship that's going on in this conversation where Jenny's like, all right, I guess I'm leaving. Bye. And so then she decides that she can't go to that school either. And then she like starts looking at public schools and it's like, I'm never going to get to go anywhere um, until she finds the Waverly school, the Waverly Academy, whatever the Waverly. And it's this amazing boarding school with like an emphasis on the arts 
And it seems like it's very forward thinking. And she's like, oh, my God, if I don't go here, I'm going to die. Um, but applications closed in December uh, and she doesn't have that many paintings to send in because she burned all the ones she did of Nate. Um, so she gets this inspiration to do these portraits of her like friends and family members. And she does one of her friend Elise in makeup. She does one of her dad in red wine and then one of Dan in instant coffee, which I actually think was like pretty, a pretty cool idea. Although from like yeah, an I art really perspective, idea. yeah, it's super cool. But from an art perspective, all of those things are, except for the makeup maybe, but the wine and the coffee are both incredibly acidic and would eat away at that paper in like a year uh, and no longer exist. So Maybe a, that is part of the art. It's like it's a performance. Metaphor, Claire. Yeah. Anyway. Relationships are not forever. I don't know. I It was a thing in art school. I had a classmate actually do a thing where she wrote uh, Chinese characters in coffee. Uh, it was interesting. I don't know. It's supposed to like do something. Like make you feel something. I, I'm just like, okay, you wrote in coffee. <laughs> oh, speaking of coffee, um, apparently... I don't remember where this conversation takes place, but Jenny is trying to drink a chai, um, like a cup of chai. I wanted to say chai tea, but I know the chai means tea. Um, And Rufus apparently and Dan both think that the only real caffeinated beverage is black instant coffee grounds. And that felt so racist to me. It like truly hurt my soul. (laughs) I was like, you're trying to tell me that you don't believe in black tea? Yeah, or like coffee grounds like espresso or like uh, there's so many uh, i mean black tea green tea uh yerba mate you can do but these are the people who choose to live in filth because they think that it gives them like a sense of moral superiority and i'm like no you're just gross yeah i mean these guys immediately think that they have a moral superiority i one other thing that i have rufus shops at whole foods uh, they mentioned that, that he shops at Whole Foods, which maybe in 2005. before Amazon bought Whole Foods. Keep that Still, mind. Whole Foods was expensive and bougie. You gotta yeah. pay, you gotta, still had to pay and like, He shops what, at expensive bougie a, places yeah. and then uses the twist tie from bags of expensive bougie bread to tie his pon- man ponytail back. So, yeah. kind of sucks either way. Reduce, reuse, recycle. <laughs> but don't be a dink about it. Go to a real mm. food co-op. Grow your own. Make your own bread. It's not hard, my guy. Uh, maybe if you're living on the Upper West Side, it is. Uh, but I feel like we've devolved and I don't even know how to get back into the <laughs> plot line here. So Jenny applies to that school and then she gets in. Good for her. That's Yay. pretty much like the end of that. Um, I feel You know so- what it feels like to me? This whole Jenny's whole plot line feels like the Bravo episodes where they bring on other people from like a newer show that they're going to introduce onto a mm-hmm. more established show. They did it with... Uh, Vanderpump Rules. I feel like they've probably done it with Southern Charm, um, but they do it a lot where, where they'll be like, I think they did it with with Real Housewives of uh, Beverly Hills and with Vanderpump Rules, and then they started Vanderpump Rules, and then they did that with Vanderpump Rules and Summer House, and then they started Summer House, and that's what it feels like in this book where it's like Jenny is like introducing these new bit characters that then will become part of their own season because I know that there's that it girl series that is all about. But if that takes place, but if that takes place at Waverly, then where do all these other characters come in? Cause they don't go to Waverly. We didn't get to see Waverly. We'll see if we do that series, which uh, TBD should totally 100% retweet if you agree. Um, So 
next Serena and Blair are taking their finals and they're all like, it's such bullshit that we have to take finals. And so they sit AP, what, biology or chemistry students in between regular biology, chemistry students. Mm -hmm. And so Blair finishes her test and then pretty much takes Serena's test for her as well. Because she's like, I'm such a good friend. Because now that she's dating Lord Marcus, she's like back to being Serena's friend. Good for her, I guess. And then what happens? But it turns out they're shooting a remake of Blair's ultimate favorite movie. Breakfast at Tiffany's. But it's going to be called... Oh, my God. Breakfast at Fred's, which was the restaurant in the uh, top floor of Barney's, R.I.P. Um, the name is horrible. It's like absolutely the worst, most horrible thing ever. And Blair obviously desperately wants to play the Holly Golightly character, which if you don't remember from our uh, morality chart or whatever it was that we posted on our Instagram, Holly Golightly is chaotic evil. She's the worst. <laughs> Which I think is such a funny um, reaction. But who is shooting this movie except for Ken What's-His-Face, the guy who keeps trying to take credit for Vanessa's whole career. So he is going to be shooting this movie. Blair and Serena are both in line to try and audition for it. Um, Blair apparently like camped out in a town car with Lord Marcus in front of the shooting space in all night. Full, in like, full costume. Yeah. Honestly. Like, it, like period elaborate detail to a T of the, you know, the Audrey Hepburn intro to Breakfast at Tiffany's costume. Um, and she camped out in the in the town car because she was like, it would look just like the movie. Um, and she sees Serena walking up because Serena gets there early because she had had sex with Nate all night because he had taken like 18 Viagras. And the man is going to uh, have a heart attack. I swear to God. It's so bad for you. Um, but so she shows up early because she was like, I never got to sleep, um, which ugh, gross. Uh, <laughs> OK, but first, let me just say, if you are a person who needs to take erectile dysfunction medication, no shame in that game. That's totally, totally fine. People don't take that many. If you uh, take, don't take that, that many, many, you're going to die. Don't, also, don't see a therapist if, if you're you, crying that much. Yeah. And also, if you don't need it, if you don't need it and you also haven't had consent from your sexual partner to participate in that kind of activity for such a prolonged amount of time, don't take it. If you don't need it, don't take it. And if you don't like have someone who's like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it. Don't take it. Cause it just makes me think about when Georgina took all those drugs, when Nate was not trying to babysit her when they first met. And then he had to be basically like in charge of her and be his, like the, her knight in shining armor because she took drugs without telling him. And I'm like, dude, if you're going to take drugs with only one other person there, you need to inform them of the drugs that you're taking because, like, you don't know what's going to happen. Period. Yes, but I mean... Prescription we, drugs, that applies to you, too. Yeah. Well, we knew that, though. We knew that he had mm, issues. Correct. With, like, you know, it's everyone else's problem, but not mine. Um, but uh, Serena gets there just behind Blair. So they're the first two people to audition. Blair goes in first. Ken Mogul is such a weirdo and such a creep fest. And I hate him so much. Uh, but basically, he's really well known for giving no direction to his actors. So that does not change now. He gives no direction to Blair. She re- She's already memorized the script. And she goes to sit at the bar and takes out like a mother of pearl uh, cigarette holder lights a cigarette, says the lines. He, again, gives her no feedback and just says, next, and she leaves. 
and Lord Marcus was watching her. Um, and I would also like to say that they say Lord Marcus every time that they talk about him. They don't say Marcus. They just say Lord Marcus. Uh, so some people are two named people, though. Yeah, but it's not that way. Uh, <laughs> I don't think. So then Serena goes and does she shows up. She's in jeans. She's tall. She's blonde. Uh, Ken Mogul watches her do the first take. Then he rips a pair of sunglasses off of one of his aides like head and gives it to Serena. And it's like, do it again. And then you'd think he'd be like, wow, amazing. But no, he just says next. And so then they all leave. And that's when Serena and Blair kind of do like make up and they all go back to the Yale Club for drinks, despite it being, I think, like 10 a.m. on a Saturday. And this is where the girls start speaking in French to each other because they say that they're studying for AP French. And I was like, Serena's in no APs. But anyway, uh, then we find out that somehow Lord Marcus was on the Yale lacrosse team, despite lacrosse not being a thing in the UK. So unless he like came over here and like went to Exeter for four years or whatever, that seems unlikely. But also if he did that, he wouldn't have much of an accent anymore because he would have come over here at like what, 14? I heard that your accent becomes like pretty much set in stone by the time that you're like seven. Okay. So when Madonna went to England and then started talking in a weird, fakey British accent, like that was 100% fake. Like you can pick up some slang and some mannerisms, but apparently the accent part is pretty much set by the time that you're like well before 14. Oh, Madonna's accent was so weird to me. Did you know that for the longest time I thought Elton John had a fake British accent too? I did not know that you thought that. Well, so my dad was like, we went to watch Rocket Man and I was like, wait, Elton John's not British. And my dad was like, yes, yes, he is. And I was like, no, he's like Madonna. And he's like, this whole movie is supposed to be like autobiographical. He produced this film. He's from the UK. And I was like, no, in my head, he was definitely not British. He was like Madonna and fake British. But anyway, (laughs) so Blair and Serena are chit chatting. Uh, The Lord and Nate are bonding. Everything seems to be hunky dory until well not until so serena finds out that she gets a call back for a second audition um and doesn't tell blair about it um blair finds out that she got the uh senior speaker despite serena dropping out she kind of doesn't care because vanessa's like don't you want it anyway and she was like well yeah um but everything seems to be fine between all of the girls for now, which was interesting. Yes. So we get to graduation and we find out that the day of Serena's second audition is Monday of their graduation, which I don't know. When was your graduation? I think mine was also on a Monday. Really? Yeah. I don't I remember, but I think mine was also on a Monday. I think mine was either a Saturday. I think it was a Saturday. It was a Saturday because Henry had to miss his high school graduation to go to States for lacrosse. It was a Saturday. Um, yeah. Well, he like came for part of it. I don't know. I wasn't there. Uh, I was still in Colby in Maine, whatever. Uh, but so their graduation is on a Monday and I didn't really get it because I thought they were there for their like walkthrough, but it immediately sped into their actual graduations. So Blair is the speaker for Constance. Dan is the speaker for Riverside and has written this horrible poem about, not poem, speech about how college will always be there, but love won't. So he's deferring his college so he can like be with the one he loves. Yeah. And see, this is in like, the last book. Happening. 
in the last book, I told you that I didn't think that Dan was gonna end up going to Evergreen. You were like, no, you paid his deposit. And I was like, that doesn't mean anything. And throughout this book, we're getting interspersed emails to Dan from this random Greek poetry Pre- slash biology to- professor who, who write English, who is Greek, like from Greece, apparently cannot speak English is writing these emails to Dan and then writes into Gossip Girl to try and convince Dan to come be his summer paid intern so that he can help him create this book of sex poems, sleep in a hammock in the professor's attic, and then the professor's son will make them Greek food and also the professor has dogs that Dan will have to take care of. And I'm like, this is the plot of Call Me By Your Name. Tell me it's not. Tell me that's not the plot of Call Me By Your Name. Huh, sleeping in the, yeah, it is. They go to a different place. It's a foreign man. It's a younger son. Except for. Do the work. Yeah. Yes. Fully agree. I've never seen Call Me By Your Name. Oh, it's so good. You should watch it. Although uh, it's so good. Hammer ate a person. He's awful, but it's so good. Uh, But mm, stop. Don't make me don't make me defend it because it makes me feel icky. Okay, you know what makes me feel icky? The constant emailing that this man is doing to Gossip Girl of all places. Yes, I have two things. Um, One is that why can no one just write people like they speak English well and not like writing a fake accent, writing like broken English, like these people are just people. You can just say they're Greek and I'll believe you. I don't know why you have to say that. He's a poetry professor. He teaches people about words. He's going to know how to use them. It's just kind of demeaning and it kind of bugs me. But I hope yeah, it stops. I don't disagree. Also demeaning is the fact that like, okay, so Dan got nominated to be senior speaker at his school and it seems like either they nominated him as a joke a la Carrie, another movie yeah. I haven't seen, or like Chuck has a deep-seated crush on Dan and is like trying to tease him into liking him slash like relate to him. I can't tell which is true. Both could be true. Um But so Dan decides he's going to be the senior speaker and writes this speech about how he's deferring so that he can be with Vanessa. Hasn't really told Vanessa about it. And Vanessa is still debating whether or not she wants to go to graduation because on one hand, she's like, well, now I actually do kind of really like spending time with these girls, even though I kept telling everyone that I didn't. Um, But also Aaron has been emailing her being like, instead of going to graduation, let's both run away and go to uh, what is it like Grant the Grand Canyon together. Yeah, Yeah, they want to go somewhere out west together and like dance around naked under the stars. And Vanessa's like, I don't I'm not an outdoorsy person. I don't know what about me indicated to you that I was outdoorsy, but that doesn't sound like something that I'd be into. So she's still cheating on Aaron, hasn't really confronted him about it until the day of graduation where he's like, hey, I know that you've been cheating on me with Dan. But, like, I guess we can still be buds. And then at graduation, uh, they give Dan the wrong middle name. That's not his middle name. Uh, Fine. Vanessa looked fantastic. She had the coolest outfit on. I actually don't know if that's your fashion favorite, so I'm not going to talk about it. Is it? It is. Okay, then I won't bring it up. But it's an awesome outfit. Uh, And she, so Vanessa rocks up late, like, in the middle of Blair's speech. Uh... Blair's like, fine, whatever. She can tell no one really cares about her speech anyway, but she keeps on giving it. Her speech, I care about her speech because her speech is about going after what you want and you deserve everything that you set your mind to. And I appreciated that from her. Yeah, I I mean, and she's really, I think she's doing it because she feels like she's really done it. So she's wearing a custom made Oscar de la Renta to her graduation. She has a hot new uh, Lord boyfriend. She is going to Yale 
like every she's gotten everything she's wanted so she's like yeah i worked really hard and i got it win and but also like her message isn't wrong um so vanessa shows up congratulates blair vanessa is awarded a film award which i have questions about because she talks about how she's editing her college interview series during this book but apparently that also won to to con and won an award so so confused questions so uh but she wins a film award like i think she like most creative talent like for her year and it's like a fancy shiny award uh her her middle name is marigold i like that Uh, yeah and blair's middle name is cornelia so sort of flower names yes uh and blair is so serena serena's name is called uh she does not show up she's not there and because Vander Woodson comes before Waldorf, apparently, yes, I don't know how many people are in their grade. They Laura have this like next. whole monologue about how like should Vander Woodson even go before Waldorf because like does her last name really start with a V or does it start with a W, which I thought was funny. And apparently Serena's family like has not even noticed that she's not there up until she like does not walk up to go get her diploma. And Blair goes up, and thankfully Blair's family is there with the exception of Aaron, even though Aaron's graduation is at the same time, but Aaron skipped his, so I guess that's why like Cyrus didn't go to his own son's graduation. But so they're there to support Blair. Blair goes up, she offers to take Serena's diploma for her, and then Serena shows up wearing the same Oscar de la Renta suit, except she got hers off the rack and Blair's was custom tailored for her by allegedly Oscar himself. And so Blair decides to let it go. She's like, honestly, this is just who Serena is. She shows up straight up barefoot. She is not yeah, wearing shoes because classic Serena walking around Manhattan with no shoes trying to get tetanus. Just straight up trying to get tetanus. It's she insane. took a cab. But still, you have to get out of the cab and walk on the sidewalk. Even I've in the Upper East Side, that's with not. No shoes on. That's bad. Don't do that. Not recently. Well, still, I don't think that that's smart. Um, but so she gets her diploma. You know who doesn't get their diploma, though? Nate Archibald. Nate. And that's because, and it's been written into Gossip Girl, his coach finds out that someone is stealing drugs from him. And he's like, whoever steals these drugs is not going to graduate. And then we learn that one of Nate's teammates has snitched on him, which sucks. Uh, snitches get stitches. Don't snitch. Um We're like, nobody in this book gets any consequences ever. Well, okay. Nate gets a little bit of a consequence. So his name has an asterisk next to it saying uh, diploma pending. And in order to retrieve his, receive his diploma, he basically becomes his coach, coach's like bitch boy for the summer and has to live above their garage in the Hamptons. Like, call me by your name. And like, okay. When did that book come out? I need to know. I don't know, but it just it feels very much mirroring the Dan offer situation. And so Nate's parents are obviously pissed. But I mean, like worst case, I mean, he literally stole drugs from a teacher slash like coach. So that could very well be, I want to say a felony, at least a misdemeanor. And he's getting what is basically a slap on the wrist. So basically no consequences. And Blair has decided that they're going to have their big graduation party after the ceremony at the Yale Club. And so everyone is invited. It doesn't matter. Go ahead. Call Me By Your Name was released in 2007, the book, the novel. And Nothing Can Keep Us Together, the book we're talking about today, was released in 2005. So uh, Cecily Von Ziegzer. Get that shmoney. Get those royalties, baby. She wrote the plot. But yes, 
Uh, Blair has decided she's going to throw the party to end all parties at the Yale Club for graduation, which, again, would not would not ever happen. But it's fiction. Uh, So in this event, they've decided they're going to open the doors to the Yale Club for a day for all of these high school seniors from across the city. The uh, Lecole girls, the French school show up, um, you know, Riverside boys, uh, wherever Nate goes, that's not Riverside. I think he goes to St. Jude's. St. Oh, Jude's. and Chuck shows up with an entourage of sophomores from a random boys, cursed, like Catholic school, which I thought was very Fun. funny. Yeah. Um, Blair's younger brother, Tyler, shows up with Who? A, a mini Blair and they're 11. And her name is, yeah, I think he might be 12. But she is wearing the same outfit as the Blair, same outfit as Blair. Unhinged. Her name is that feels, Jasmine. Yes. Nicknamed Jazz. Do you think that they're replacing Jenny with another little J? I mean, probably so bad. But I, I don't. This feels strange. like a. This feels like a. What? What's the like trope for like um, straight white female? Or what is it? Yeah. Single white yeah. female or the roommate. Yeah. Single white female. Yeah. Leighton exactly. Meester was in. We talked about this. Leighton Meester was in the roommate, which was a spinoff of Single White Female. Oh, I maybe we did. I don't remember. But yes, exactly. Uh, it feels like this little girl has come to slit Blair's throat and take her place. Wear her face. Very like scary. A skin mask. It was very yes. disturbing. Blair has um, decided but, that this ahead. is the, the end. Well, so Serena, shocker, shocker, gets the role. Uh, and did that not give you dial L for loser vibes? It did. It really did. Uh, especially because, although, you know what? No, because Blair takes the loss with much more aplomb than Massey did. Uh, I don't disagree, but it just felt like, oh, someone who thinks that they are reading the role so perfectly, they think that they own it. They're like, I am this character. I know what I'm doing. And then someone who's like blonde and is like, okay, whatever, uh, comes in and just totally usurps that person. Yeah. The innocence like somehow makes up for it. Um yeah. But Serena gets the role. She decides she's going to ask if Vanessa can help direct because she's like, Ken Mogul's a piece of shit and uh, doesn't give me direction ever. And I don't want to do this. Um, So she like runs over to celebrate with Vanessa and Blair's like, that's it. Fine. I'm going to go upstairs and have sex with my hot British boyfriend. And he is not there. Well, it's after he has given her a straight up like Bulgarian. A pearl necklace that gave me Anne Boleyn vibes with not like, a not a pearl necklace, like an actual pearl necklace. Yeah, no, obviously not. Ew, ew. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I feel like it had to be said. I was going Anne Boleyn. Come on, with the drops and the letter B, and like you he never calls know her B like Anne the Boleyn. animal, which was cute. Um, and he invites her to go with him to England in two weeks. He's like, I'm going back there. You should come see me. Like blah blah blah. So he's like getting really serious about it. And Nate also confronts Blair and gives her back the green sweater from when they first were dating. And she had sewn that little gold heart charm into the sleeve of his sweater. And he ripped it out and, like, kept it in a bedside, like, dish or whatever. But he gives back the sweater, which felt, um, like... Weird. Melancholy gave me a bit of forlornness, but also, like, what is she supposed to do with this men's sweater that is like not going to fit her and she's not going to give it to her new boyfriend. It felt very sort of strange to me in that sense. Uh, But so he is crying and then Jenny shows up and she's like, cool. I got into Waverly 
and I'm done for the season, so I need to go celebrate. And so she's like, you know what? I'm going to, you know, rehash some old times and I'm going to hook up with Nate. And I still have this one tab of ecstasy in my purse. So I'm going to offer Nate ecstasy and then go hook up with him in the bathroom. She drags him into the bathroom and then gives him ecstasy and loses her virginity to Nate in the bathroom of the Yale Club. He was... I don't want to say, like, he was a willing participant because, like, he did do drugs and there's, like, issues. She says there. there could be worse things than losing my virginity to a guy who is acting like a golden retriever because he, like, starts growling. Yeah. And I just my question was more like, since he's on drugs and she isn't, like, is there some sort of entrapment isn't the right word, but like coercion, lack of consent in that in his part? Where, like, he's on drugs, but I don't know. That's obviously not a question that the book interrogates. Dan shows up, however, speaking of people trying to, like, rekindle old relationships, Dan shows up with, like, a dozen red roses and wants to tell Vanessa, like, hey, I gave this speech. My dad is pissed at me, um, but I did it all for you. And Vanessa is busy, like, dancing with Serena having a good time because she's now evolved and is, like, finally willing to be a part of something bigger than herself. And... Dan is very forlorn about it. He's upset because he's like, why is Vanessa not sitting over here brooding in a corner with me? I thought that we were both going to be brooding because Dan And now she has friends and is happy and is loving her life. And why doesn't she hate herself anymore? Because then she could be my muse. Exactly. And so he essentially leaves and meets up with his dad who's outside and has gotten... His dad has gotten him a car for graduation so that he can go to Evergreen because his dad reached out to creepy professor man to be like, hey, let's give it a couple months, see if he maybe does still want to go to Evergreen and can like work with you and you can be his advisor. So that was sort of nice that he's going to teach Dan how to drive stick. Yeah, I thought that was cute. I don't know how to drive drive stick. I know you don't. Uh, So I think that's fun. Um, Don't look at me like that face. I know you don't know how to. (laughs) No, I'm I'm not denying I don't know how to drive stick. I do know how to drive a car, though. Claire is on this, like, weird propaganda that Courtney does not know how to drive a car. I do know how to drive. I choose not to drive. I never said you don't know how to drive. I may have implied that you don't know how to drive very well, but I know you know how to drive. I drive to the letter of the law. That's what I drive. Okay which is not something that a lot of people agree with. And I consent, I console that, whatever. You know what I mean? (laughs) Anyway, uh, I think that that's pretty much the end, except for, oh, Blair and Serena participate. Okay, Nate comes out of the bathroom having just had sex with Jenny, is high off his ass on another world, comes up to Serena and basically like sucks her face off. And then he goes to Blair and like sticks his tongue down her throat. And then he's like, we could just keep kissing us and Blair and Serena are like uh no well they're like "Uh, okay so they kiss each other and everyone starts watching them and I was like great love that well this is after Blair was also in the ladies bathroom because she couldn't find Lord Marcus she wanted to go have sex with him oh um he left her a plane ticket to come visit him in two weeks. He left her a first-class British Airways plane ticket along with the matching Bulgari earrings to go with her pearl necklace so she could come visit him in London in two weeks. So, But that's she's after like, Isabel great. and Kati yes. confront her in the bathroom being like, hey, we heard that Lord Marcus like actually isn't really a lord and also he's like engaged to this like British royal person and so he's cheating on you and also he's a fake and we just wanted you to know because we're such good friends. Um, and Blair... Blair basically decides that she doesn't really care, which yeah. I'm like, okay. Good She's for like, Blair, yeah, I guess. like, I'll go to London. At, why not? 
I don't have anything else going on with my summer. Yeah, so she decides to go and also makes out Serena, perhaps the true love of her life. You're right. That I mean, I'm not sure how it ends, but yeah, uh, it's pretty cool. So that's the end of that book. Uh, I'm guessing that we see Nate go to the Hamptons to be the bitch boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blair's going to go to London to see Lord Marcus. Jenny is apparently going to Prague to be with her mom at an art camp over the summer, which I'm intrigued by. Who allegedly uh, Jenny and Dan have not seen their mother since they were like young, young children, because Dan says that he like can hardly remember certain things about her. And so then and she, just randomly she left Rufus for go. a prince. Yeah. She left Rufus so for a prince. Many questions. Child support. The ability to pay for the school. Oh, uh, why is she going to this camp in Prague if she hasn't seen her mother in years? So many questions. Yeah. Rufus mentions that he spent 80 grand all borrowed for uh, Dan's high school education. And I was like, that seems like a poor decision when there are actually a lot of good public schools in, in Manhattan. There are many good a lot, public schools in Manhattan. A lot. So yeah. many that you don't have to do that. And if Dan is so stinking smart, why couldn't he get a scholarship? Seriously, why did 80 grand? That's $20,000 a year. That's, I mean, that tracks, but many still. questions for me. Um, another question that I have about this book that's less for the book itself and more for you mm-hmm. is with regards to like the sense of I've grown up with these people my whole life and like I feel like they're a part of me and now I have this like weird sense of like sadness that this time is over. So you and I spoke in the first book about that shared exchange moment of this friendship is not what it used to be between Serena and Blair that they shared at that kiss on the lips party. And you and I both agreed that since we hadn't seen that relationship develop over previous books, we felt a bit disconnected from it. And now reading this book of them having graduated and thinking that same way where they're like, I've spent so many years with these people and now I feel sad that it's over. Do you feel that similar sense of disconnection as you did in the first book? Because I did too. For sure. I mean, it's tough for me because uh, as I've mentioned before, I went to one school for the first two years of high school and I went to another school for the second two years of high school. And my second high school was a K through 12 school where a lot of kids started in kindergarten or alternatively in sixth grade. So everyone, literally everyone had been there longer than me. And I saw their friendships kind of be like this sad thing it ended, but I was kind of removed from that because I was like, I've only known you guys for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can like kind of understand that feeling, especially if like Constance, Constance and Riverside and St. Jude's are those K through 12 schools, um, which might make more sense. I don't know. The Rufus thing is throws me for a loop with the pricing, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, we it know it is for Constance sense. because one girl who Blair talks to or whatever has apparently like tried to be her friend when they were little, like yes. in fourth or fifth grade. And, and then it got to the point where like Blair kept rejecting her. So she spread this rumor that Blair and her dad were in an incestuous relationship. And that's why she like couldn't hang out at this girl's house. And I'm like, that's an unhinged thing for a fourth grader to say. Yes. And Jenny and Elise uh, get ready in the Hello Kitty themed uh, kindergarten bathroom because apparently... One of the parents of a kindergartner owns Hello, owns like Sanrio, which like, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yes, it is K through 12. So having seen other people go through that, I can kind of like transfer that experience onto these people. But again, I don't know the history. I still have so many questions about the like 
Nate Serena before 10th grade thing, because that's very like up in the air and confusing. Uh, I did find out there is a prequel. We might be getting to the point where we need to read the prequel in a bonus. Yeah, um, I agree. Just to establish this like feeling of continuity, because I'm with you. I don't it, think that it will give us a feeling of continuity, true. given the lack of continuity that exists within the books themselves. Like each individual book lacks a sense of continuity. I, I wish to revisit the middle name question, for example. Like, come on. Yeah. I just and then the the like you could live at Columbia, you could go to Columbia and live at home. And it's like he got rejected from Columbia. There's so many questions. And I'm just like, maybe reread the one book before this and then keep writing. Keep like or a little post-it note on your computer that says of what their, their names? names are. Just or what, just of their names in general. What's their name again? Who is that one? The blonde one? Sure. Um, so definitely. Another thing that I did actually, so that was something that I take issue with in this book is that I didn't feel that sense of connection there to develop that sense of nostalgia for those relationships past. But I did like the sense of non-toxic masculine friendship between Lord Marcus and Nate, where Nate is upstairs with Lord Marcus. They're smoking on his bed. And Nate starts crying, thinking about, like, this phase of his life being over and how he's like, well, what if I, like, don't have a life after this? Like, maybe this was it for me. And Lord Marcus gives him good advice and, like, hugs him. And Nate realizes that, like, he hasn't been hugged by another man in a long time. And so it was very nice and touching for me to just be like, okay, I like that this can just be what it is and that two men can just understand each other and know that there are, like that you are allowed to feel your feelings deeply. Yeah, it's actually so it made me think of there's this thing in Korea called a skinship. And it's where two friends, whether, you know, like it's usually two guy friends. Um, It's not an expression of like romance or any of that stuff, but it's just an expression of like showing closeness of your friendship and like building strong friendships and these guys will very frequently like hug each other and like be very physically affectionate with each other uh, because it's a sign of their strength of their friendship. And I'm like, more people should feel the comfort of doing that. It shouldn't always be about like your bros punching you in the stomach or like no homo. It's like be comfortable with like showing people that you have affection for them and not feeling like it has to be ascribed to some kind of romantic situation because it doesn't. Affection should sure. be affection. And I don't want to I don't want to discount the sense of like love languages. And I know that yes, that's like for sure. the guy who invented that is actually apparently problematic. But I do think that like you and I have had this conversation before where like you are not super physically affectionate with people. I'm not. That's totally fine. I am only physically affectionate with a certain subset of people. Also totally fine. And I've had to come to this realization within some of my own relationships this past week where I was like, okay, I didn't like I am looking for a sense of like commitment and relation uh, demonstrated in this particular way. But I needed to take a step back and be like, oh, okay, you are showing this to me in a different way. And that is valid. And just because it's not in the way that I'm looking for right now doesn't invalidate the way that you are showing me that you care about me. Yeah. So I think that that can exist within these books. I did just appreciate that sense of like, you can hug your bros. That can be fine. Men can cry, et cetera, Men can cry. Maybe not as much as Nate is crying because there's definitely something else something going, else on, going here. on. Yeah, uh, but uh, you can show emotion. I honestly think that guys who can explain their emotions and like show their emotions, it it's very attractive. Uh, oh yeah, one hundred percent. Healthy emotional intelligence is better than abs. 
And it's crucial to a healthy relationship. Like being in touch with your feelings is the foundation for relationships. Otherwise, like how are you supposed to figure your stuff out? However, speaking of relationships, I think that the Aaron Vanessa thing is another piece of evidence, not like Leo Jenny, not unlike Leo Jenny, where like you can have similar interests and just not be the right fit for each other. However, I still don't think that Vanessa and Dan are a good fit either. I agree. I don't think they are. I think they're pretty toxic because I think both of them or not even both of them. I think that Dan feeds off of Vanessa's insecurities in a way that's really not good for her. And I think we're really starting to see her come into her own in terms of just like really loving herself, having a lot of friends, being comfortable with expressing herself in terms of her body, her art, her voice, you know, taking up space in an environment. She's not shriveling. She's not shrinking herself down anymore. She's yeah, starting she to was really so feel wrapped comfortable. Up in, exactly. She was so wrapped up in being not like other girls so that she could fit within like a narrative prescribed to her by Dan because Dan was all like, oh, well, she's not like other girls. She's not like this. She's not like that. And Vanessa sort of absorbed that into herself. But then as soon as she started making female friendships, she became more confident in herself. And I really love that for her. And I think that that speaks to, you can have like a healthy romantic relationship, but you need to also have relationships outside of that. Like friendships that are non-romantic. She also realizes how lonely she's been. She's like, well, I like having people around now. And it's like, yeah, it's nice. Yeah. To have friends. So, so yeah, I'm with you. I don't love the Dan and Vanessa thing. I don't think, I hope it doesn't, I hope either Dan comes to understand that Vanessa exists as her own person rather than just like this wraith he with soft apple arms, which I don't understand. Uh, and he, yeah, like, if you're eating an to, apple that's that white, then like you need to throw that apple away. That's not good. That's weird. Uh, but I either hope he comes to terms with that and figures out a new way to like address the situation or I hope that they don't continue. Um, Maybe she's pale like Snow White who ate an apple. So I think it's supposed to be like the inside of an apple. Still not good. And Agreed. It's not good. It's a weird way of describing someone. But um, I think, yeah, I think that honestly, the end of this book made me realize that each of these girls is in a better place with themselves than they've been in a very long time. Blair mentions in this book that she has not made herself throw up in like two weeks or like maybe two months. It was something, but I was like, yes, girl, you don't need to. You don't need to. You're great. You're beautiful. You're amazing. And the fact of the matter is that that like that temptation still we know from reading this book still exists in the back of Blair's mind. She thinks about it, but she can like process her way through it. And I think that that is very true of disordered eating behavior where like you can not participate in it but like the process of recovery is very long and it's more it has a lot less to do with the behavior than it does with the mentality a hundred percent so happy to see all of the women in a healthy place Succeeding. Um, we love it yeah we love it uh do we want to finish up with our fashion faves before we get Let's to the state of the union do it you already alluded to this, but my fave for this week is Vanessa's graduation dress, which Blair buys for her, which I thought was so cool. It's by Morgan Le Fay. It's got a plunging V in the satin bodice, an asymmetrical hemline, and a sort of flapper-style low waist that she'd had no idea would look as flattering on her as it did. Blair had left her a pair of white Michael Kors wedge-heeled sandals to go with the dress. She'd even found Vanessa a pair of cool white fishnet gloves from some consignment store on the Upper East Side because it was a Constance Miller tradition for girls to wear white gloves during the ceremony. So, like, Vanessa, who has always worn black, was not looking to even go to the graduation thing, is now wearing Blair's shoes 
and like making the style her own, doing like a little vintage thing, a little like saucy thing. I love it for her. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I just love the fact that she feels very like uh, anthropology, wafy, like wood nymph to me in a, in a great way, like a punk rock wood nymph. I think it's awesome. Um, my fashion fave, although I cannot find it right now, is Blair's audition outfit because it has to be because Blair is wearing an exact replica of Audrey Hepburn's outfit in the intro scene of uh breakfast at tiffany's including the fact that it's a givenchy gown she has her hair done the same way and if you don't remember blair's hair was cropped quite short it is now apparently at a chin length bob which is like record level hair growth okay um and despite the fact because she clipped her hair off in november and it's uh, not november april and it's june what uh but she has now apparently added a bunch of fake hair to like put her hair up into like a french twist she has on big chanel sunglasses big like pearls she stole from her mom she's got flat uh i think it's like long flats on and when she goes upstairs she again i think it's so elegant and if i ever smoked cigarettes which i have never done like not even once uh i would definitely use a cigarette holder because i think it's so cool <laughs> do they prevent uh, your fingers from getting like yeah, yellow yeah they do your fingers and i think also your teeth a little bit okay well then more people should do that just carry around a big little stick I think it's just so fun that she like she brought all of the accoutrements you would need. Good she for had everything. It wasn't the Good right job. fit for the movie and that's fine. But like she was living her truth. Yes, she was. Um, which was which I feel like we all should do. Do you want to tell me what your state of the union is for this week? I certainly do. My in for this week is furniture outlet shopping. I had to pick up a. I went to a crate and barrel outlet with my parents recently and I found a bed frame that is currently on the crate and barrel website for like $900 and I found it for like $360 at the outlet because it was missing a few screws and so my dad like went to Home Depot to pick up screws and we put it together today. Um, so like don't discount furniture outlets. I think that they are so cool because furniture is expensive and a lot of people talk about like the impact of fast fashion but like people get rid of a lot of ikea furniture all the time and i feel like that probably has an equally negative impact obviously don't blame the individual let's like hold corporations accountable but if you can find a good deal on something totally support it although i did have to buy a box spring for this mattress don't get me started on box springs i feel like that's such a scam Um, it's not a scam it's not a scam our mattress is ruined because we didn't use a box spring like well i obviously bought one but like i feel like they should just make bed frames that don't require them. That's they do. To me. I know, they do. but like that's what I'm saying is that I've only ever purchased mattress or bed frames that haven't required one, and now that I bought one that did require it, I'm like, this is just one more thing, another yes, thing. Yes, but you'll that be glad you had it together. Sure, you'll be glad you had it because then you won't yeah. have. I've had my mattress for like five years, and now I need a new one. I feel like Which, five years saying is like that how out long loud, you're supposed to keep it. I think it's though. my mom says eight to 15, but OK, but you know, that was also when like people bought mattresses with like box springs from mattress stores. Exactly. Like, so you can take the tag off. Yes. So that was my end. My end is furniture yes. outlet shopping. Totally stop by a furniture outlet if you have one near you. Ten out of ten. So much interesting stuff there. My out is bottling things up. Um, I was very upset about something that happened on Sunday 
And then I talked through it with my mom and I like didn't, I initially didn't want to talk about it with my mom. Cause I was like, if I talk about it with my mom, like she's going to like take this the wrong way. And blah, blah. it wasn't even an issue with my mom. It was an issue with someone else that I was like, I just don't want to talk to my mom about it because I really didn't want like her thinking the wrong thing about it. And then I did. And she was like, get over it. And I was like, that's not the answer I want to hear, but it ended up being really helpful. And I do feel better now that I've talked about it because I was just like working myself up into an emotional tizzy about it. And I realized that like my mom's philosophy for so long has been like, is that the hill you want to like, that's not the hill I want to die on. And I was like, you can, those two things can coexist where like you can be upset and acknowledge it and that can be valid, but then you can decide to move on from it. And that's what I did. That's awesome. And great. Um, we have not discussed what this thing was, but also like we, Courtney and I do this a lot where like, I'll be like, Hey, I did this thing. And I talked to my therapist about it and now I'm good, but I'll give you like the out short outline about this, the trauma situation I dealt with. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause like both of us, we know our limits, which is good. I feel like that's healthy in a friendship. I um, would have talked to you about it, but I think that you were busy about something. I don't remember what it was, but like, I think you were just busy. Also feeling pretty emotionally uh, raw myself these days. So exactly. I might not have been exactly. able to help you. Sure. Um, yeah. So sometimes you just uh, got to talk about it. And that's what I'm saying is that like my yeah, out exactly. is bottling things up because sometimes you just got to let it out. Yes. Agreed. For some reason, when you said that, I thought you meant like, because <laughs> you're finding you're moving to a new apartment. And so I thought you were talking about like physically bottling things. And I don't know why. That's I was like, also out. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Courtney's bottling beer or what? Or like my brain just didn't get it. But yes, exactly. My apartment building is doing a craft beer tasting tomorrow, the day after that we we're recording this. So like, I don't know. I'm also not a beer person. But if I were a beer person, I'd go to that. I'm so not a beer person. Um, but yeah, that'd be cool. Um, so... My in for the week is new opportunities. I don't think anyone from my job is listening this far in to the podcast. podcast. So I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and say that I got a job interview. Oh my uh, God. Place that I'm really excited for. And it's a little bit of a career change, but it's one that I really want to kind of make. And I'm putting the good juju out there that I get to this next round. Um, Manifest it, bitch. The job is currently remote, but would eventually be in Santa Monica. So that's really cool. That would be yeah. so cool. I would love to come visit you in Santa Monica. We could get fish tacos. I know you don't love fish, but it would be fun for me. Yeah, no, it'd be so much fun. Uh, so sending that good vibes out there, really hoping for that because it feels like a really good opportunity and it kind of feels right for me. So, you know, going with the, going with the vibes. Uh, I'd say my out would be letting other people tell you what to do and not in okay. like a not in like a like malicious way just like when you come into your own as being an adult and you've made enough adult decisions for yourself and you know the decision that you're going to make you don't have to ask someone else to either make that decision for you or like always get validation on that decision before you make it. Your decisions are worthwhile just because you know what's best for you. Um, I've been dealing with that recently where it's like, I know the decision I'm going to make and what other people tell me to do isn't going to change my decision. So why do I keep asking? Why do I keep telling people, <laughs> you know? Uh, and not even telling people, it's just like 
doing it in a way that makes them feel like I'm asking for help when all I'm really doing is like a, hey, I'm going to do this thing. Not a, hey, what should I do? So just, you know, know that your decisions are valuable. Know that you know yourself better than anyone else does. And so don't let other people tell you that your decisions aren't worthwhile or aren't correct because you know how to do the best for you. Yes. So, um, yeah, in that kind of realm of things, uh, a decision I think would be great for you all is if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, if you go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to our podcasts, we would absolutely love it. If you're looking for us on socials, you can find us at Woody Committee Pod on Instagram, the same on TikTok, at Woody Pod on Twitter, uh, and... I think that's it for socials. Wow, we made it the whole episode without uh, more street noise. So, oh my god, that was the, I could f- I had my feet pressed up against the window and I could like feel the vibration in the window of that wow. car driving past. I'm on the and 19th floor of my building. I was gonna that's gonna say, yeah, wow. Um, uh, but yeah, so also email us, find us on our website, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if you want to tune in next week, you can hear us talk about only in your dreams, the ninth book in. Cecily Von Seekser's Gossip Girl series written by a ghostwriter. Yay. Hopefully. We'll see. Can't wait. No, I Googled so it. excited. No, 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 no. I just, I mean, like, <laughs> I'm excited to yes. read the book that is not written by her. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Cecily, if you want to come on this podcast, that'd be great. I'm sure you're not listening. Um, but I did read Cobble Hill, your new adult book. So I Which can talk about. Which you also didn't like, like. I didn't, but I can talk about the breadth of your uh you know, work. Uh, work. And I'm not, it's when we asked one of the girls from the click movie to be on our podcast, we kind of knew it was going to be a dud. Cause she was like, I've been on other things than the click guys. And so Cecily, if you're listening, um, I know that you do other things other than gossip girl. And uh, we went to the same college and both dropped out. So you should totally come on our podcast and we can talk about how your writing has evolved and it would be so cool. Uh, but if you're not Cecily Von Ziegzer, we hope you join us next week as we continue to judge the mean girl right back one book at a time. Mm-hmm.